0: I am Vengeance. I am the Knight. I am also a podcast cast. I am a podcast. Podcast. Podcast.
1: Podcast. Whoa! Oh! It's a show. It's a show. Audio only, though.
0: What is it about? If you have time, I can tell you that it is a podcast about that many bad
1: podcast. What did you want me to say in this part? It's a show. Yeah.
0: Yeah! I am a podcast. Whoa! Whoa. Hey! In interviews with friends and people. People who
2: Surprise! Welcome to a very special episode of Batman the Animated Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Michael, and you're listening to an audio variety show for your ears based on the legendary 1990s cartoon Batman the Animated Series. Today's sponsor, obviously terrifying sociopaths dressed up as clowns. Why hire a birthday clown when you can hire a sociopath murderer dressed as a birthday clown? So you might be wondering, why did he say surprise? Why is this a special episode? Well, it's because we are releasing this on a Saturday. But it's not just any Saturday. It is Batman Day. The day of all bats. He is risen and he's made of bats. You know, like Batman. He's made of a bunch of bats. He's a bunch of bats that are tied together into one human man pretending to be a superhero. That's Batman's origin, you guys. Uh, Why is September 26th Batman Day? I have absolutely no clue, and I refuse to put in the minimal effort to Google it and find out. Because who cares? I'll never question a day dedicated to my favorite tortured comic book weirdo who's a bunch of bats strung together like we just established Okay, later on, I'm going to sit down with one of the musical geniuses behind the show, Michael McQuiston, to talk about his experience composing for the show and his work on Be a Clown. We'll also be joined by the voice of Kevin Conroy, bot himself, out of character, my roommate, Jace Armstrong. But first, we've been on hiatus for nearly a month, and you've no doubt been on the edge of your seat after last month's podcast cast cliffhanger... <laughs> pod cast so just in case you don't remember previously on pod it's me
0: your brassy magical talking microphone i need the golden xlr cable this dirty little troll with a flamethrower came through here not too long ago and got rid of it
2: riddler you're gigantic
0: you, you shut, shut up, up your face, face. I think it's time I got rid of
2: all of this nonsense. Be gone, nonsense, I says. Be gone! Please don't step on me with your giant stinky troll feet. Wait! Step on you? I'm not, I'm not gonna, gonna, step gonna step on you, you dumb, dumb, dumb flimflam. flam. Oh, phew. So this was all just the product of an amped up cliffhanger from last episode, and you have no intention of violence after all. <laughs> that was a close one. Rungle
0: dungle, person as tall as my schlongle. I don't step on things. I magic them away with my giant flamethrower. Sit there, whooshy whooshy. Flamethrowers aren't magic. You can run, but you can't hide from my magic flamey flames. Wow, what a fight. This truly is a thrilling spectacle that anyone with eyes would love. I truly pity those who can only hear the action and not see it. Once again, I am pleased to announce to the world how thrilled I am by the visual nature of this incredible fight. The vivid colors, the magical scenery, the effervescent orange of my
2: magical flames. Okay guys, I think I am in way over my head, so while I'm running for my life, please enjoy today's episode!
0: Today's episode, Be a Clown.
2: After Mayor Hamilton Hill insults the Joker on live television, never a good thing to do, the Clown Prince of Crime infiltrates his son's birthday party dressed as a clown to exact revenge and blow the party to smithereens. The mayor's son, Jordan, a budding magician, becomes so enamored with Jekko the Clown's tricks that he steals away in his truck when the Joker leaves, and it's up to Batman to face his arch-nemesis and save the boy at an amusement park after dark. Original air date, September 16th, 1992, written by Ted Peterson and Steve Hayes, directed by Frank Parr, supervising composer Shirley Walker with music composed by Michael McQuiston. animation by Ackham. Featuring Lloyd Bachner as Mayor Hamilton Hill, Mark Hamill as the Joker, Justin Schenkerow as Jordan, and veteran voice actor Jim Cummings as the real Jekko. Now this is one of the earliest episodes, and boy does it show. Look, it's not Underdwellers bad, but it's definitely not the series at its strongest. It panders to kids with a 22-minute lesson on why you shouldn't trust strangers, especially if they're blatantly terrifying clowns who pull you aside for a creepy whisper sesh every other sentence. Mark Hamill feels like he's settling into the Joker nicely, and he alternates between an Ed Winnie sort of Jekko with sinister glimpses of the Joker underneath. Batman's dialogue is a little hokier than usual. Case in point? All right, Joker.
0: Get ready for a little bat
2: magic. Yeah. This is uh, most definitely before Burnett was brought on board to overhaul the writing. Luckily, even a mediocre Batman the Animated Series episode still has some great elements. Bruce Timm himself stepped in to board the second act, and the background design, especially at the theme park, is wonderfully twisted and gothic. Michael McQuiston's insane amount of original circus music in particular shines through as one of the best and strongest parts of the episode. Speaking of which, it's time we spoke with... Today's guest... Michael McQuiston. Michael completes the Dynamic Music Partners Triforce on this podcast. He's an amazing composer who worked on all the original DC Animated Universe shows from Batman and Superman to Batman Beyond and Justice League. And since then, many, many more. If you're in Los Angeles, make sure you visit the Griffith Park Observatory show. He composed the score for that, too. Today's fan? jace armstrong jace isn't just my roommate who pops in to voice kevin conroy bought in my closet he's also a comedian who performs regularly at ucb los angeles and he's worked on shows like the birthday boys nathan for you comedy bang bang the eric andre show and check it out with steve Brule. so with those creds let's get to the interview <laughs> Be talking about middle names, so you know <laughs> right. it's going to be a good podcast. We're not going to talk about my middle name, although I love my middle name. What is your middle name? My middle name is Moore. Michael Moore McQuistian. There you go. That's who I'm sitting across from, composer for Batman the Animated Series. I'm also sitting across from Jace Armstrong, friend of, of the series. If the series was a person, he'd probably be its friend. Like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jace David Armstrong. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean <laughs> <laughs> And Justin, no middle name, Michael. So we're here to talk about "Be a Clown," one of the earlier episodes of Batman the Animated Series, at least when it aired. Uh, So, Michael, you worked on this. This is one of your first jobs. Was this the first episode that you scored on your on your own?
3: Yes, it was my first solo episode, which was really exciting and kind of terrifying. I think I'm trying to remember exactly how this worked out, but. I believe I split two episodes prior to this with Lolita Ritmanis and Shirley Walker, of course. Um, I think it was Christmas with the Joker and Pretty Poison. I did like two or three cues on each of those episodes and... On each of those episodes, there was something that went wrong with what I was doing, or I wasn't doing it quite right, or surely was not I wasn't following her protocol quite right. And so with each of those episodes, I thought I would never work in this town again. <laughs> and then I get this call to do this Be a Clown episode on my own, and, and it was, like you said, one of the first episodes, and... So I was like, "Wow, okay,
2: well, maybe it wasn't that bad after
3: all." <laughs> <laughs> well, how did
2: you get involved with the series in the first place?
3: Um, you know, it's a crazy story. I've told it at, at you know Comic Con and some other places where you know I've talked about how this all happened. But for me, I mean, Batman the animated series was my it was my first job as a composer at all, my first professional composing film composing job, and uh, I was working at the time. Uh, for Mike Lang, who I'm sure you have heard of. He's a wonderful keyboard player in town, has practically done everything. Um, Fantastic guy. I was his personal assistant for several years. And during that time, the person who was doing his rack wiring, you know, for all of his synthesizers and all of that, which used to travel with him to the scoring stages, was Don Walker. And I'd known Don for a couple of years because he would be working behind me on Mike's rig while I was working for Mike on his computer at his house. And we got to chatting, you know, over the years. And one day he said, you know, what do you do when you're not working for Mike? And I said, well, you know, I'm a film composer. At least that's what I'm trying to be. He said, oh, really? He said, you know, my wife's a film composer. I said, oh, really? I said, I didn't, I didn't know. That. I said, well, do you have any music? And I said, yeah, I got a tape I can give you. He said, well, great. Bring me a tape. At that time, it was cassette tape. And I did that. And, you know, just thought, hey, I'd love to get some feedback. You know, I'd love to hear what your wife thinks. If she's working, that's great. I mean, I was clueless, okay? Um, didn't hear anything. Like three months later, out of the blue, got this phone call when I was at home, and it was Shirley, and she said, Hi, Michael, it's Shirley Walker calling, and I said, Oh, hi, Shirley. You must be Don's wife. And he said, she said, Yes, yes Don gave me your tape several <laughs> months ago. He said, I listened to it, and she said, I think it's really terrific. And she said, I'd like for you to work with me on Batman the Animated Series. And I said, Really? And she said, yeah, she said, but you know, I don't want you to, to uh, I want you to think about this very carefully. She said, you're gonna need to work in my style and you're gonna need to write you know, using my themes and this is gonna be a very like tightly controlled thing. You know, th- We need to make sure that all the music is homogenous and works well within the series and I'm hiring several composers here, but I'd really like you to be on board. She said, so I need you to take three days to think about that before you give me your answer because I don't want you to tell me yes until you're sure that you're okay working under these circumstances. And so I said, Okay, I'll wait three days. And it was really literally that. I literally like set the timer for three days and like called her back three days later and said, Yes, of course I want to work with you. Yeah, I would mean, you
2: have immediately said it whether Yeah. I mean it was like
3: you know, when she said the word Batman, I'm just like, Batman you're kidding me! It was, it was it was nuts. So I mean, yeah, and, and you know, the movie had just come out, right? Batman Returns. No, no, the was first the movie, the first Batman, the first movie had come out. Oh, okay. And so that had already made its big splash. And I'd gone to opening night at the Man Chinese Theater and all that oh, kind cool. of stuff. So I was really into it anyway. And then when she said the word Batman, I don't think I heard the animated part. I just heard the word Batman. And so I was like, "Well, that's enough. I'm on board. That's enough." So yeah, I called her back and I said, "I'd love to do this." And So she brought me on as an orchestrator first uh, to orchestrate some of her music on the earlier episodes. And I was there at the first scoring session for On Leather Wings. What was that like? It was crazy. Oh my gosh. I mean, there was this electricity in the room that you could feel. I mean, when you walk through the door into the booth, it was a large booth. We were scoring it at what then was Warner Brothers B scoring stage, a smaller scoring stage. And everybody was there like, Erdodonsky was there Bruce Tim was there like all the other other composers that she wanted to sort of try out some of them were there um of course the entire crew the orchestra Shirley's on the stage conducting and I mean she hit that downbeat and it everybody was just like whoa I mean it it really it was a palpable feeling everyone I think had this had this feeling of like this is something really 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 special and very very cool and i just look i remember looking at eric Rodomsky's face and he was just like
2: his eyes were wide and he was like <laughs> wow this is gonna be great
3: so i think there was just a general feeling of like this is gonna be something really special it was very cool
2: were you a batman fan to begin with
3: and i you know i've always been a comic book fan a little bit but only in the sense of like Heroes and like the, the what they represent, uh-huh. I think we kind of need them, you know, in our culture. Um, and I was always a Superman fan, that story I kind of related to in a big way, um, being from a small town and everything. So, I, I don't know that I I wasn't like a rabid comic book fan. Right. You know, I certainly knew about Batman. Who doesn't know about Batman?
2: Yeah, and by the end of it, I'm sure you know way more obscure information about every superhero at this point. I guess, yeah, (laughs) probably. Well, maybe more than the general layperson would know. Let's say that. What about you, Jace? What was your background with Batman the Animated Series as a fan?
1: Uh, Well, I would, my brother and I would watch it all the time. It was, you know, it was. One of our favorite shows to watch, and it was like a religious watching experience. It was, for it really kids. was. Yeah. and the, I mean the uh, that opening sequence was. Uh, I still like remember the excitement just hearing that music. You just you get that rush of oh man, we're gonna you know we're gonna discover just a whole cool new world and story and uh, yeah, it's it's just such an exciting show and for like two boys also growing up, you know like. Yeah, it was just it's just like You were the demographic. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we really Yeah. I think they hit the nail on the head. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we were Oh yeah. Do you remember what the (laughs) first episode was you saw or like it's just a blur of Um I mean I think it was probably
2: the first episode to air. I mean, we watch it from start to finish, the whole... Yeah, I don't remember which one I saw first. I remember the Mr. Freeze... I remember seeing a teaser for Heart of Ice, Mm -hmm. because they used to do, like, really short commercial teasers for the first... I don't know how long, but it was like, you know, they would cut together like a little commercial for kids it was like this week on batman the animated series oh really like, yeah and they would oh, you know cool. so i was like whoa what is this <laughs> those red eyes in the dark <laughs> yeah really oh my gosh that's great so that's my first visceral memory is like mr freeze but uh i think i remember on leather wings is probably like one of the first episodes i don't know and it was the first production episode i don't know if it was the first to air Maybe not. I'm not sure. Yeah, I I just remember it being the first scoring session. Christmas with the Joker was the second one, production wise, I believe, and you worked on that one a little bit, right? Right. Yeah,
3: I I actually did the the I guess it was the source music on that.
2: Oh, is that like the game show week or not game show, but like. No, remember
3: when he um, uh, Joker was like running around and then he put the needle drop on a record and it was like the Nutcracker Suite, but it wasn't quite the Nutcracker <gasps> yes. Suite. Okay, that yeah, that was It's I like a fight that. in a big warehouse near the end. Right, but it's like starts off as like, you know, the Sugar Plum Fairy and yeah. ends up with like, you know, exploding airplanes.
2: So. <laughs> That's one of my favorite parts of that episode. <laughs> like musically too, <laughs> like that.
3: <laughs> well, that assignment was one of the ones where I was sweating bullets because um, Shirley had asked me to do these arrangements based on Nutcracker. And so I did that, but like I was so in my head at that time. you know. Just when be you're... Tchaikovsky. Well, it was like <laughs> I was young and I, you know how it is when you're young and you're starting out and you're so excited and I just wanted it to be great. So yeah. I had like gone back to the original Tchaikovsky scores and like <laughs> I was like researching this and it, like this was going to be authentic Tchaikovsky. You know, yeah. I was really into it. And so I think I made it a little too <laughs> authentic. And she looked at the score and she's just like, no, we, no, we can't do this. She's like, no, this isn't gonna work. She said, "It, it, yes, Tchaikovsky is fine, but it's got to be Batman. So <laughs> you need to go back and add some, add more Batman to this because this isn't really." And she said, "Not only that, but you can use more. You don't have to like have every measure be exactly the same as it was in the original <laughs> Nutcracker Suite. You know, you can use more than one movement and put them together. It, it was very funny, and I was like, oh my god, I failed. You know, and she's like, no, it's cool. You can, you can fix it. Just go fix it. And so uh, that's what." what I did so it ended up to be more of a suite which I think worked great of course because she knew what she was doing well what was your experience working with Shirley well golly how can I sum that up um she was amazing I didn't I don't think I really knew what I what what was happening when I was working with her I, I was I knew that I was learning a lot but I didn't realize how much she was mentoring me I mean I'd already been through the USC program and had studied with some amazing film composers there And so I didn't really realize that I was getting so much practical knowledge from her, but she was so generous with just kind of helping find your, find the best composer in you and bring that out and make that be part of your voice. She wasn't, I I never found her to be somebody who was sort of trying to impose herself on me. She would make sure I was doing what I needed to do within the context of the show, but she always let me do it, you know, with my voice and and as long as it fit in you know and then she would help me dramatically figure out she she had this idea that certain composers have a great dramatic instinct and i think that's kind of how she made her decisions about you know who she was using Mm. and not using and so i think she she kind of for some reason liked the way i was telling stories with music and told me that and uh you know just helped me connect to that more and i think that that was very valuable to me so she just gave me an enormous amount of practical knowledge and a lot of kind of, kind of patted the wheel a lot so that, you know, I kind of knew how to keep it upright and keep it going. You know, she helped me um, just be the best composer I could be. And it was kind of incredible. And she was a wonderful friend and a wonderful person. She was always interested in making sure that I was a well-rounded person and not just a composer. Hmm, In what way? Well, no, she would encourage me to, you know, take time off, see my family You know, make sure I was having rich and and fulfilling relationships and doing other things besides music, you know, getting out and just exploring the world. And I I know that that has had a huge impact on my writing because I know that whenever I feel like I'm getting a little stale, if I just go do something, you know, different, like, oh, I'm going to go to the beach today or something like that, I'll come back and then be able to, you just like the writing just flows forth. And she was like that as a as a writer too. I think that's a great
2: note in general for any creative
3: person. Absolutely. And I would watch her do this crazy stuff where she would have like fifteen minutes of music to write, and it had to be done you know by the next morning, and it was already the afternoon of the previous day. And she'd be like having lunch with her assistant, you know, and having some incredible like brought in lunch that Indian or whatever and just chatting away and I was like how can you do that if you have 15 minutes to write then she would go disappear for 45 minutes come back and she'd written three minutes whoa and it was like what and she's like yeah it's time for a break I'm like break you still have another you know 12 minutes to write she's like it's okay you know I need to take a break and then she'd go back and you know disappear for another hour and come back with another five minutes and I mean, she's at that that pace I never even thought of. I was kind of working myself into the ground, and she kind of helped me understand that's not the way to do it. That's incredible. (laughs) That that is
2: incredible. Oh, man. Well, let's talk Be a Clown, shall we? Be a Clown. Oh, my God. Yeah, so this okay. is this is a very Stranger Danger episode of Batman the Animated Series. <laughs> what the heck does that mean? Uh, it's you know very much like uh, I feel like the lesson on you know it's more of like a kid oriented lesson of like kids don't trust strangers, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> especially <when> not clowns. <laughs> there was a clown. I was I was gonna.
1: The exact same situation happened to me. I was going to hop into the back of this clown's van. Right, your father was the mayor. My father was the mayor.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Mayor Hamilton
1: Armstrong. Thank goodness this show was on the day before my birthday. (laughs) Oh, my God. So relatable.
3: So relatable. Yeah,
2: yeah, this is definitely like a creepy one. It does not help the clown community out, which I think legitimately is trying to reverse the idea that clowns are scary right now. Like, I think between like American Horror Story and... You know, if you have seen Inside Out, there's a real creepy clown in that uh, recently, and they're not doing so well. So anyway, this episode, this is a Joker episode, obviously. Right. And uh, the title card itself, it's kind of it's a pretty one. It's like a silhouette of you know the Joker, I think, like holding the kid's hand. It's pretty until you realize what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. So why don't we talk about just like there's always like a nice little motif for Sting. I, I'm musically very unaware, so I'm probably going to use the wrong vocabulary. But during the uh, title card, maybe we can talk about that as a way of launching into the music a little bit.
3: Yeah, no, I think um, I, I ended up writing a couple of themes for this for this episode theme? that I thought were okay. important. Yeah, <laughs> um, there was a theme for for uh, Jordan and his father, that mm-hmm. sort of a family type theme that was about their relationship, because this this episode to me was really about their relationship. Um, and then there was also A theme for Jekko You know The Joker Dressed up as the clown Yeah and that Was the other clown Not the Joker clown The I guess he wasn't a scary clown. He was trying not to be scary. Right. But how can how can the Joker not be scary? So whatever. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, so I had... He a- more terrifying than the Joker to me. Like his head yes. is more elongated. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And his like, mouth is like way bigger and yeah. it's like in his teeth and, and whatever. Anyway, so I wrote a, what I thought was more like a clown theme. I mean, Shirley had her Joker theme, which was a little warped to begin with because there was nothing like scary about that theme. But for some reason, when you put it with the Joker, it's terrifying, which is part of her brilliance. Um, so I wanted to write something that was more circusy. So I had a little circus theme for Jekko the Clown. Then I had my family theme for Jordan. And I, and I was sort of combining these things in the title card for that very short amount of time to sort of introduce the
2: episode. Is that difficult? to like? It feels like you have to cram a lot into a short period of time. Um, you do. But that's another thing that Shirley taught me is how to edit. Um,
3: originally I had written this really complicated theme for the clown, for the Jekyll Clown theme, and it held these grace notes in it, and it was very sort of notey. And she took one look at it, and she just said, you know, you got to get rid of all this stuff. And <laughs> she said, what you've got here is great, but it's just buried in all these other notes. So you need to distill this down, and it'll be just great. And, mm. she, and so I did, and she was right, and it worked out really great. And it was easy to perform. And that was important because, you know, we had the live orchestra on all these episodes. What a cool thing. Oh, golly, Moses. Interestingly enough, that was sort of before the time when synthesizers had really taken off and samplers had really taken off. So it really wasn't available to us to have the technology to do it any other way. So we were just fortunate to be in on the end of that great orchestral tradition.
2: It just sounds different. I mean, I've talked to Lolita and also Chris Hmm. so far, so... Probably, you know, this has been talked about on the podcast a bit, but it really is such a a, a vivid difference, or not? Yeah. Vivid is the wrong word, but like it really—it just breathes
1: so much life into yeah. it, you know. It really does.
2: It sounds better.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, surprise, surprise. Yeah, right. <laughs> yes, Using real instrumentation in no, no, a full it orchestra sounds, sounds so,
3: better.
1: So uh, real, such a novel idea. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh, but I love it. It's like part of what makes this show so great. And it feels like every level, every piece of the show has a certain level. It sets a bar of quality in every arena. I feel like, you know, and I think music is the most consistent arena, I would say. You mean uh, among yeah, all the episodes? Yeah, well, yeah, uh, and, and compared to like animation, depending on the animation studio, some, you know sometimes mm. it would look really beautiful, and right. sometimes they're like, no, nah, this studio is, is not great, we're not going to use them again, and right. like, the animation doesn't look as good. But I feel like musically, across the board, it's generally pretty consistent.
3: Well, you can thank Shirley for that.
2: Yeah, it's great. So, yeah. Yeah, that was pretty terrific. Um, I mean,
3: having the orchestra on every episode, and just knowing that you're going to turn up and have these amazing studio musicians playing your work, I mean... Legendary musicians were like showing up at the studio, and I was like standing on the podium, just going, I'm not worthy. And it was, and it was wonderful because I just felt like it was a huge
2: honor to be able to work with them. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, this is a Joker episode, and his theme is one of the most uh, resonant from the series. Sure. So, and you had to incorporate that theme into. The episode. What is that yeah,
3: like? Several times, uh, but it was really important to differentiate when I was using Shirley's theme as the Joker theme, and when I was using the Jekko theme. Story wise, you know, I had to be really clear about that. How did you create the Jekko theme? Well, it was like I said, I, it was just something I wanted to do that was more circusy.
2: Yeah,
3: um, and I wanted to feel like you were actually at. You know, a Ringling Brothers circus when you heard it. it. It should feel that way because it was about kids having fun and, you know, he was showing up at the, the party and just entertaining everybody. So it needed to be sort of innocuous.
2: I think you got some reuse out of that too. Like, I think they used it in Did Baby I? Doll. Uh, like, they used it in a couple other episodes of the series. They used some of the circus music. You know, <laughs>
3: Okay, so or at like least the amusement
2: park, maybe?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing. Here, Here's the <laughs> thing about me. You know, remember I mentioned that I did all this Tchaikovsky research? Mm-hmm. Okay, So when I got the assignment to do this episode, of course, I'm, I'm looking at the episode and I'm realizing, oh, my gosh, this takes place in an abandoned amusement park. The last part of the episode is an abandoned amusement park. And so I thought, well, I got to get going on this. And so I ordered all these scores of like authentic circus band music. And I was like (laughs) getting, you know, I was like, well, send me, you know, thunder and blazes, which is the famous march that everybody knows from that, from the circus and studied all that. I was like voraciously, you know, <laughs> digesting circus music, <laughs> and so
2: um, you were driven insane by the
3: end of it. Yeah, well, kind of. No, I know I wasn't driven insane, but I, let's just <laughs> let's just say that I knew that this was my first job, and I I it was really important to me, and I wanted it to be the best it could be. Of so course, that was that. Um, and I, there was an opportunity for that because uh, there were many source pieces in this. Episode, And I'd been asked to write several circus pieces so that when various circus rides came on or the lights came on, on the carousel or whatever, they would have things to choose from. And so I wrote like three or four different source pieces that were all very different. I wrote one that was just a bunch of marimba mallet stuff. Um, that was like a little waltz I wrote one that was done with all the tiny instruments so like piccolo trumpet and soprano clarinet little tiny soprano clarinet and like you know all piccolo flute and like all the tiny instruments so it was like the tiny circus band source piece and by the time I had finished with this episode they had like three or four of these pieces so I mean it makes sense that they would reuse them in other episodes we didn't even get to use all the pieces that I'd written in this episode that's how like crazy, ambitious I was. (laughs) But we recorded them all, so, you know, they had them. so
2: cool. Yeah, it was great. Okay, guys, so while you've been enjoying the Batman part of things, I think I found a good hiding spot from Riddler.
0: Justin! You You can can run, run, but you can't hide from from my magic go-away fire maker forever!
2: You're right, I can't. But you know what I can do? help you get rid of things that you can't get rid of oh really perhaps a golden xlr cable oh you mean this tiny dangly gold lasso thing that's it yes yes that's the golden xlr that's the mcguffin you know the the thing that i've been looking for the entire podcast cast <laughs> PODQUEST
0: CAST! Well, I can't get rid of it! It's It's driving me nuts in my nuts! I accidentally shoved it down my trollsers on my last trip to your closet! In Batman the
2: Animated Podcast, Season 1, Episode 5. Hey,
0: watch the exposition,
2: buddy! Okay, okay, well, hey, if I help you get rid of the Golden XLR, aka keep it, will you A, not kill me, and B, definitely not kill me? Deal!
0: Now crawl around my gross, disgusting legs and search around my groiny areas. I think, I it's, think stuck it's stuck somewhere in my ding-dong, my ding-dong hair. And it's gonna be extra tough to find, cause, cause I'm feeling I'm sweaty, and I braided, I braided know, it all on my last trip to the Caribbean!
2: <sighs> For the love of PodQuestCast, I shall do it. PodQuestCast! Ugh, here goes nothing. Ugh. Ooh,
0: ooh, oh. That pickles me in a pleasurable way. Oh, Oh, goodness. Oh, that's my funky wonky. Oh, oh. Uh, there he goes. Inside. Oh, oh he's it out smells again. So there he got in through. here. It ain't, oh, it ain't nothing. Taint nothing at all. There it is.
2: Okay, guys, while I search this giant creep's troll I will get you guys to the Batman stuff.
0: They used to be oh. short, short and curlies. Now they're giant, short and curlies, but still short compared to my other head.
2: the episode centers around let's talk a little bit about the episode the plot of the episode it centers around uh the joker disguising himself as Jekko and befriending the mayor's son mm-hmm. uh, so how does that it kicks off with the mayor giving a speech yeah it, k- does it, it kicks off with the mayor giving a speech uh about how he's
1: keeping the city safe uh and that <laughs> like two seconds later it gets destroyed by a couple of thugs. Hamilton Hill can't catch a break.
2: I'll tell you, he's got a he's got an enemy in the clock king hates <laughs> him. He's nobody really likes him. Yeah.
1: Well is he that likable really? No.
2: Not at all. Yeah.
1: Yeah, not even his son.
2: Uh. <laughs> not even his son. his son. kind of looks like the Joker a little bit. <laughs> he has like a little Joker nose. Yeah, Joker haircut. Joker, yeah. You <laughs> noticed that? Yeah. Wasn't that a little creepy? Yeah. I thought that a little creepy. <laughs> I wonder if that was just like, oh, he sees himself in the Joker a little bit. Like that was the reason behind the design or it was just like, let's make him look like the Joker. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but it was funny. I noticed that he had the same sort of
1: general features. <laughs> yeah. And then they, they go on to uh, put on a
2: birthday party. <laughs> they put on a, birthday, put on party. a birthday
1: party <laughs> They don't know whose The greatest <laughs> show
2: on earth is a birthday party, not the circus <laughs> Right,
1: yeah. uh, And it's crashed by Jekko the Clown But nobody knows it's crashed Right,
3: right because right. Jekko
2: is tied up somewhere Jekko's been booked right? Jekko's supposed to show up, yeah. so yeah. he does
3: But it's just not that Jekko They don't know who Jekko is So they didn't know it was anybody other
2: than the real Jekko Joker really towed the line of like uh, what name he chose, and like it's gonna have a lot of the same letters as my name, <laughs> yeah. just slightly different.
3: You know, his yeah. ego is just out of control. He never can quite, you know, completely not have it anything have his involvement. I mean, the candle's got it,
1: his face. Oh on my god! And yeah. It's like, yeah, he's
3: yeah. just like he wants you to know it's him. That's he what he I love about
1: know. the Joker. Yeah. is like that's what he's driven by. Exactly. <laughs> when Bruce Wayne sees the candle on the cake, he's like, "That's a pretty suspicious candle," and then it pans down. <laughs> down, and yeah, it's the Joker's face it's like, okay. all yeah. yeah, right It's definitely not a Jekko candle. <laughs> no.
2: no. He went out no. of his way to make a Joker <laughs> right. candle. they yeah. like not manufacturing those. Yeah, well, maybe they're friends. Who oh, knows? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> there's about a, a week.
1: Uh, there's a big part of the episode they cut out, which was just Joker <laughs> making
2: this candle. <laughs> a custom candle company. <laughs> uh, oh my gosh, putting up a little too much time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they cut that out, but you wrote a lot of music, that candle music. Uh, yeah, right, right. So we have that, and we sort of have the introduction of Jekko, and uh, how, how did the beginning of the episode sort of play out on your end?
3: Um, you mean musically? Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, to me, the story was all about Jordan feeling distant from his father and I mean he was really into magic and his father was very dismissive and mm-hmm. so I you know wanted to make sure that that it was pretty obvious that he was feeling lonely and so I used that family theme you know to express that in several of those scenes and then when Jekko shows up it's more about the party and like what's happening in real time mm-hmm. and so that was more his theme was more accompanying his antics and his tricks that he was using to entertain the kids but, man, it switched back and forth a lot because yeah. he would, like, lean over to Jordan and just go, yeah, but you got to run away from home and you got to do these things. And it's sort of like – and then you'd be back juggling again. It's like, this is
2: really creepy. Yeah, it is really creepy. <laughs> it is a highly creepy episode. Yeah, there's something very unnerving about it. Right, right. Uh, so do you approach episodes – I mean, I, I imagine because you talked a little bit about how, you know, you you really – Surely helps you focus on story right uh, and it seems like that she was very she was very into that she you know yeah. like the story should be driving the music
3: absolutely uh,
2: so how do you approach an episode do you kind of take it all in and then start to think of like a family theme and where you can inject that what scenes that make sense or do you go from top to bottom of the episode or you know I can't I,
3: I'm trying to remember exactly how this was dealt with For this particular episode, I'm not even sure that I was present at the spotting session for this episode because I know that at that time, especially early on in the series, Shirley was dealing with those uh, spotting sessions on her own, and then she would have meetings with the composers that she was asking to work with her. And so I the only memory I have is of her telling me kind of what she wanted for the episode. And so then I would go through and watch the episode with my notes from that meeting with her, and then I kind of had to decide how do I want to... Deal with this and there were uh, you know there were notes in the spotting notes at that time the music editor would do a breakdown of all of the action from top to bottom every blink every step would be made uh, into this bible that we would get for the episode and so we would have that to look at and reference wow. and in in the midst of all of those notes of all the different things that were happening on screen there would be notes that Shirley had talked with Bruce about and so there would be like note you know this is this scene should feel you know sad because you know jordan and his father aren't getting along or something that's banal and that wasn't in the notes but i'm just that's just an example (laughs) sure but there would be things like that 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 would be very illustrative that would be in the in the body of the notes that i would be able to read and just go oh okay and i know i need to address this specifically um and especially things about the picture that maybe for bruce tim weren't working as well visually for him, but that the music could really help. Mm -hmm. And so I would try to connect to those things and make those, you know, uh, special moments where the music could really do something different for the picture. Um, Yeah. I I mean, my approach, generally speaking, is what's happening here? You know, what's happening with the story? What is, what's, what does the producer want to communicate with this story? And then I just try to have the music do that.
2: How often did you work with Bruce Tim? Directly, you, or do you mean on this series? On this series, or not much, or was not on this series, not
3: much because really Shirley was the supervising composer, and frankly, I mean, months would go by before I would work on another episode. This series took two or three years to to score, wow. and so you know, like after I did Be a Clown, I I don't think I heard from Shirley again for t- at least two months, and then you know, I would get a call and it would be like, we've got an episode coming in, and there's and it's going to score on you know next week. And we're going to split it three ways, and here's your cues. And I'd be like, "Great, I'm on board." You know, and <laughs> yeah. but it wasn't like, you know, every couple of weeks I would go in and score an episode. That came later. That came later with Superman. Yeah. But uh, on this series, she would handle most all of those things because there were somewhat 35 composers involved in this series. It so was an many. enormous amount, and so she was wrangling all of that, and that was really smart because. You know, it would been really annoying, I think, for the producer to have to deal with so many different composers and different mm-hmm. spotting styles and things like that. She, she made that all consistent.
2: Yeah, Lolita called it Shirley's Great Experiment. Yes, that's right. <laughs> uh, mentoring 35 people at once. You're right. <laughs> yeah. How would anybody, I mean, you, how do you conceive of something like that? I mean, now it would like? be a reality show for sure yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. so like we'd right. be watching your progress right. on batman yeah. the animated oh my series gosh. Yeah. 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 all the composers
1: would have to line up with roses uh, at the it, end of each episode it's so that it would be so
2: that it, it would be, be a black <laughs> rose for batman there's only one
1: rose left and it yeah. would be
2: made to look like crime alley and you would like drop the rose
3: oh uh, man yeah you get your five minutes
2: with shirley <laughs> <laughs> I hope I impressed her. Oh, man, I would watch that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know, too. Absolutely. Well, they did have, like, a Henson kind of puppet-making kind of reality show recently. So, come on, there's got to be something like that. Oh, my yeah. gosh, too funny. Uh, anyway, so, back to the episode. What were your takeaways of the episode, Jace? What did you like about it? Uh, I liked the I liked the creepiness. I mm. liked
1: how how, I mean, I've always just liked how absolutely insane the Joker is with with no reason and I thought you know this episode was that you know highlighted that very
2: well (laughs) I mean the Joker goes out of his way he I like the weird personal episodes like where he kind of just like injects himself into the lives of like normal people like this kid like that's so much effort and that makes it creepier like there's like uh, Joker's Favor is another episode where he does that where he just like Ruins a guy's life for cutting him off in traffic. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's just he very specifically focuses in, and uh, yeah, it's just it's so creepy because he's he's gonna he's like I'm gonna teach you a lesson. Yeah, yeah. You know, very, like he's the one to teach
3: the lesson, right? You know, Like I don't want to be taught that lesson. <laughs> no,
1: no, please, no,
2: please <laughs> yeah. don't
3: teach me that.
1: And then you see him where you know where he you you go to his layer where he's just you know you go to the heart of the beast where he's has all these things set up already to to torture Batman there's Yeah, I yeah. guess I don't think about that but like the fact that he's got it all prepared means that he's yeah. that much more Terrifying, like the fortune teller. (laughs) He goes to the fortune teller, right? And it tells him (laughs) what's going to happen to Batman. We never know what it tells him. Oh, yeah, it never tells you specifically. We don't
3: know what was on that
1: card, but yeah, it could have been you're going to set up a water tank rig (laughs) and perform it as a show for the kid that you've kidnapped. (laughs) See, I Uh, see
3: a moment like that, and I think, okay, now that's a film composer moment. We never know what's on that card, so mm -hmm. the music has to tell you what's on that card that's how it is that's so oh, cool yeah. yeah that's
2: you're helping like bridge things fill in and like support yeah I think the creepiest stuff is the stuff you don't see
3: yeah and so you know the music can fill in that gap and give you sort of a general idea of you're not gonna like this I mean that's and what then makes your brain, brain like yeah. takes over and goes oh my god this could be really bad so I think that's those are the scariest things
1: yeah when mm-hmm. it's Like the the space is so empty visually. Yeah. And then it's filled in by maybe just the sound of. Footsteps and the music, right? You know, and it, that's that's what I love about the show in general is that it, you can you can have those moments of also just silence, and that's I'll they really you, utilize silence. It's I'm so glad you brought that up.
3: I, I actually wanted to talk about that because the way the show was spotted, you know, that the composers really didn't have much to say about that. Shirley spotted the show with Bruce, mm-hmm. and maybe even with Eric. I'm not exactly sure, but I know Bruce. It was mainly Bruce, and so she would spot with them and. The decisions that they made of where music should go was so completely effective. And the decisions where music is not going to go, that is equally as effective. Because, uh, you know, there's probably maybe 11, 12 minutes of music in each episode on the average. This one had a little bit more because of all the source, but on the average. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, you're going to find a 22 minute episode has about 18 to 20 minutes of music in it. And for some more, for some other shows, like I know that we're working on a show right now. Um, it's 22 minutes of music you
2: know? just like yeah. scoring the entire thing right
3: and it's like you know having and that's fine that's a different approach but for this series not having music having that uncomfortable silence and perpetuating that uncomfortable silence especially with animated characters on the screen it gives it a kind of realism and a kind of presence that I don't think you could get any other way there's no music that would give you that
2: Yeah, it's
1: right. just the silence that gives you that so I, I thought it was very clever yeah it, it completely grounds you in reality yep the uh yeah that i've, I've I'll, i noticed that when i was a kid too and it's it's i think it's good for it i think it was good for kids to see something that didn't have constant right uh
2: stimulus also mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's something to focus in on uh well just, it made the work more intelligent too and if you're a creative yep. person you're taking something i know at least like. I'm sure everybody I've talked to who's like a creative person who grew up on this show has lessons that they have pulled from watching it.
3: Uh-huh. Like it's
2: just such a good show. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. It's great art.
3: Well, I think it takes a lot of courage to not have music everywhere. Um, and to be sort of confident in the story mm-hmm. and be confident in, you know, the pacing and just let it be what it is. And when you don't have to, you know, fill in the, the blank with those stimuli like you were talking about I think it's a very brave thing so there's like this kind of underlying courage to the whole way they made this show
2: yeah Yeah. so and then oh uh, (laughs) Uh, the Joker himself his voice obviously there's been so much said about it but Mark Hamill kills it yeah it's insane like I can't imagine anybody else as the Joker well, that's very interesting because when I first <laughs> spotted the show, it wasn't Mark Hamill.
3: Right. It was Tim Curry, right? It was. And the videotape that I got to watch the show was actually, um, it was Tim Curry's voice. And I thought it was great. And so, uh, you know, I was like, okay, this is terrific. And then, I, you know, I got this revised cut that had Mark Hamill's voice. And I thought, well, this is great too. I, You know, they were different, but I
2: thought they both really kind of captured that kind of zany Scariness. Yeah, I spoke with Andrea Romano uh, about that a little bit. And she was saying that, you know, everybody loved Tim Curry. There was just one person, a higher up, who didn't. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't it, know the stories. So. And it, it had nothing to do, you know, like most people liked his voice. Uh-huh. <laughs> but there was one person, you know, it just takes one person to be like, no. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, and I, I remember I went to a... I think it was like a screening at the Egyptian. This was maybe in like two thousand four, two thousand five. Yep. Celebrating Bruce Tim's work. Oh right, uh, right. And they showed a clip live. I wish it was available online of like Tim Curry. I think his voice in Joker's favor. Uh, and it was just so. It's very different, but it's still mm-hmm. great. I mean, Tim Curry is awesome. Plus, he plays a really good creepy clown in It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Why not? Actually, that Jekko design kind of has an It vibe to it. It's like got those two poofs on either side (laughs) of hair. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) We just needed him to hide in the sewers and say they all float, and we're good. (laughs) Uh, So, let's see. So, uh, the Joker befriends... A uh, little, little, little hill. Plants <laughs> yeah. in his mind to run away. Yeah, it's kind of a Scar esque method. Was this before the Lion King? I think it
1: was. It, or it was like a year or I two think, before. I think so, yeah. Oh, come on. This is like way but This is in the ni- early 90s. I
3: don't
2: know. Like, <laughs> the, when did The Lion King come out? <laughs> I mean, when were you born? You know? uh, 1892. <laughs> yeah. And it's nice no, I'm to see all, it, all like, just like, blurs
3: together. <laughs> I'm just thinking, you know, like you said, you were the ultimate demographic. Was then, it
2: 94 that The Lion King came out? I thought. Oh, come on. 94, 96. Like, was
3: it later? It had to be later than that. I don't know. It had to be later than that. This had to be before that. Yeah, it, was, it, was it definitely...
2: I know there. that the series started... Probably was before that. You're right. <laughs> anyway, uh, so very Scar, I guess, was the point. Yeah. I revealed my, my lack of knowledge through just mentioning the character Scar. Um, so, yeah, so let's talk about that death trap. That was pretty insane. Let's talk about the fact that Jordan has to watch it. Yeah,
0: that's...
3: Yeah. Supremely twisted. I mean, he's obviously uncomfortable... And, you know, it's not getting any better. And Jekko Joker is just loving the whole scenario. And, I mean, I I really... Like, in my mind, I'm like, I can't believe they let them put this on the
2: air. Right. I mean, it it was
3: pretty intense.
2: There are so many moments like that in this show. And especially early on. Like, it's very intense. It's torture. And I think during that sequence, we decided that there was going to be circus music.
3: Which is like, you know, okay, let's just make it that much more intense. You know, let's make it happy. Let's make it a fun show.
2: Yeah. That juxtaposition is,
3: is creepier. Oh, absolutely. Way more creepier. It doesn't uh, turn over to, to underscore until I think much later on when he's trying to escape. But like at the beginning, it's like, you know, (laughs) it's like, you know, let's go to the circus. (laughs) And then, you know, you don't know he's upside down. And then the camera turns around. I thought that was one of the most clever moves ever. Yeah. So clever. And then, It's already filled up with water by the time the first line
2: starts. Yeah. And I'm already thinking, well, I'm already nervous, so... A kid must be 400 times more nervous because to me, that's like one of my greatest fears. Like, you know, like, ways to die. Like, drowning is horrifying. And that's absolutely something that, like, as a kid, I was like, oh my god. (laughs) Yeah, watching that again as an adult, rewatching
1: that was... As intense and a, you know, as creep, I was like, oh, what would it be like to die <laughs> drowning? You know, it it make you Thanks makes Batman you actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it makes you actually think about that. And to have and I feel like another series would have made the kid not you know not be entertained by it. You know, but right, they wouldn't get it. They wouldn't get it. They a kid would be stupid and wouldn't have right. Empathy. Be like yeah, 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 and not until later. Right. Yeah, but really to to it really makes it really. You know, it, it, it it's hard hitting because gives the kid some emotion. Yeah. You know, and it and it immediately, you know, yeah, it it just really ups the stakes when you make it that much more real.
2: Yeah, that yeah. he's riding and he's uncomfortable Ooh. with it.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, so we take it from there, and then there's the the big finale in the amusement park. Yeah,
3: that was fun.
2: Yeah, tell tell us more about.
3: circus music for the roller coaster.
2: <laughs> did you get enough circus music in?
3: I didn't. Have, the funny thing is, is that I didn't ever do any more circus music after that. So I guess that was my circus. It sounded episode, like you
2: did so. enough for the. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. You <laughs> waited
3: yeah. the whole show, the whole three years. <laughs> yeah, no, that was that. That was a great scene. I mean, just the them. Uh, the sound of the roller coaster, you know, just the sound, that sound that a wooden roller coaster wow. makes. I
2: love it. Like it really, it makes me happy, but I'm a big roller coaster fan. I love theme parks. So like that sound of a roller coaster is like a very comforting noise. Oh, uh-huh, uh-huh. like the rickety, even the though plattering. it's like, yeah, like dun, 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 dun. exactly, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And with him in the front and the, like the dueling
3: cars, you know, and then he's throwing the cupid dolls and they're blowing up and it was great. And, and when Batman finally sort of, launches himself to solve the situation, that's when the underscore really starts. And it needed to be pretty intense. And so it's a pretty pounding, driving sequence. Yeah, what is it like to underscore those sequences? Well, I mean, you think of, okay, it's an action cue. Uh But it has to have some relationship, you know, to what's going on on screen and and in the story. And so I just tried to make it seem like it was a big old marching band that had just, that was much like amped up. And so it has lots of low, like, you know, monster music. So it was fun. It was fun. It was, it was a really cool scene. It was very exciting. And you kind of never knew what was going to happen around the next corner. And you've got Jordan in the front of the coaster. That's going to go off the tracks the soonest. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was, it was exciting. It was really exciting. I actually have the cell, the animation cell, from that scene hanging in my studio. So, Whoa. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, it was pretty... Well, I needed something commemorative to remind me where I came from, so this was like my first job, and so I thought, I'm going to hang this up, and that's going to remind... It's going to ground me.
2: It's like, I came from Batman. (laughs) I was born of the night. Exactly.
3: You said it so much better than I did.
2: Uh, I needed you to say it first. Uh, Yeah, that actually, that sequence was... The inspiration this is a weird little factoid for there was a Super Nintendo game based off of Batman, this series, and there's a fight with the Joker. The boss fight in the level is from Be a Clown. So you you get to play Batman, I think they remove Jordan from the sequel. Oh, yeah. oh really? Jordan. So, <laughs> unsurprisingly, people you're weren't. Jordan. You get to be Jordan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and so you're Batman fighting the Joker on the roller coaster as it's moving, and he's throwing Cupid dolls at you, and really? and you go through the level itself is kind of inspired by Christmas with the Joker, and as you go through, like kind of like a building blocks with like giant nutcrackers that are fighting oh you, and you like gosh. raffle off of them, and. It's Bad. a very difficult game, actually, but it's, a, it's, like, a very well-reviewed game. Usually, a lot of times, the until, like, you know, maybe these Arkham Asylum games that came out, the, the licensed video games were, like, pretty hit or miss, I feel like. Uh-huh. It was either really good or mostly good. Awful. <laughs> I hadn't heard of this.
3: This is this is the first
2: time I've heard of it. It's, yeah. That's very cool to know that that sequence is sort of interactive. Oh, it's way. emblematic of the series. Like, I mean, I'm sure so many kids played the video game and, like, that's what they think of. And so then when they rewatch Be a Clown, it's like
3: well when you ride your next roller coaster yeah. now, you know what to think of yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. get out of your seat start now getting in for the dolls. make sure nobody has one <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah it really connects to the kids
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh this episode having that kid in it you know having Jordan in mm-hmm. it it just really I don't know there was that that one thing made it just even that much more unbelievable for me I, I'm not really a dark person you know, normally, I mean, my favorite superhero is Superman. I'm going to say that really softly if in this podcast.
2: But get out, Michael! No, I, I know, but like that's what I connect to. Well, what and do you so, like about Superman?
3: Yeah, I, I, I like his story. Yeah, I like the fact that he's from this small town. I like the fact that he doesn't really want to be Superman. I like the fact that he's just a guy. He's, he's Clark Kent. That's what I like about him. He's he, that's his. I think Batman is more comfortable being Batman than he is being Bruce Wayne. Yes. I think Superman is more comfortable being Clark than he is being Superman.
2: I really? Because he was born Clark Kent. He didn't yeah. find out he was Superman. Why can't... Why don't people get that? People are really critical. It's, I'm, <laughs> I'm really getting upset about it. But people, I feel like, you know, throw Superman under the bus, even though he could lift it. They uh, do. And I've carried a torch
3: <laughs> for him in several different interviews.
2: So, you know... He's I'm an so... interesting, complex character. I don't know why people think it's that difficult to get a story right. I just think it, they
3: don't like a goody two-shoes, and he's sort of that. I think so, you're right.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Batman is definitely the more attractive, brooding, uh, you yes. know, psychotic yes. human yes. being. Yes. And yes. people
1: connect to that. <laughs> I feel like people are drawn to the bad boy, though, yeah. you know? People are drawn to the bad boy. It was just funny,
3: you know, being hired to write for this series, because I never thought of myself as a particularly dark person, and a lot of the music that I've written has been sort of very heroic and... It has that sort of you know go get him spirit but you know it, it it was not a stretch for me to come up with this dark stuff so <laughs> I was surprised I was like where is this coming from I don't know where this is coming from but obviously there's something rolling around in there that I'm working out here
2: so. the box has been opened yeah, yeah
3: yeah it was it was not hard
2: <laughs> that's good well let's briefly just talk is there anything else you want to talk about in terms of Be a Clown or Batman
3: um I don't know, not not particularly other than just how awesome it was to work on the show. I mean, I think I don't think I could have predicted or is that the right word? If I if I had to sort of write my biography now, I I there's nothing else I would want to pick as being my first gig. I mean, this is like this is like the crazy, awesome first gig for a, a film composer. It, I did you know, we didn't know what this was going to become when we were doing it. We had no idea yeah. that this would have the kind of life and longevity that it's had and it would connect to the fans like it had. We were just trying to do a great job, you know, but looking back, I mean, heck, I wouldn't have, I, I'm, I feel so lucky. I wouldn't have had it happen any other way. This is like the perfect first job. So,
2: oh man, yeah. that's so it's cool. So great. Yeah. <laughs> You have any other takeaways for the episode? Any other stuff we didn't cover? Uh, I'm gonna avoid clowns
1: a little bit more. I did for the last, you know, 30 years or so. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna start doing that again. Uh, <laughs> Great. Now so rewatching it's inspired it. Yeah, inspired a fear of clowns. <laughs> uh, no. Um. Uh, yeah. Well. Yeah. I think that is my takeaway. <laughs> uh, no. Well. Yeah. My takeaway. I hadn't. I hadn't watched it in a little while, and uh, it. It just reminded me how. Uh, how lucky I was as a kid to have such uh, strong entertainment yes. uh, and such strong storytelling. And I think that's inspiring to uh, to not uh, to to make what you know is good and and not try to uh, uh, make something. F- for kids, or for, or you know, make, right. or you know, make the kid oblivious. Kids are smart, I guess. Is yeah, kind of treat <laughs>
2: treat your audience smarter than you think they are. I think uh, I think a lot of times things are dumbed down for kids. Yeah, and if you remember being a kid, you're, you're intelligent, uh, even if you can't articulate it necessarily i think you know kids are always smarter than we think i don't know we talk about this Jason and i are both improvisers and so i remember one time i got a note by uh, an improv teacher uh, sean conroy and he would always uh it sounds like sean Connery. <laughs> Uh but he when he, a lot of improvisers when they're first learning how to do it uh, when you play a kid you kind of just play it really dumb and st- silly. And uh, he's like, no, they're smarter than that. (laughs) Like, play to the top of your intelligence. Play to the top of your intelligence. Uh, It was Sean Conroy, (laughs) not Connery, uh, once again.
3: (laughs) Well, I mean, I had said to you guys where the demographic, but in reality, no one was making the show for that demographic. No, I'm serious. I mean, it was like, I just want to have a shout out to all the people involved with all aspects of the show because I mean from the art direction to the character design to the backgrounds yeah. to like the voice direction and just just there was such quality in every different part of the way this show was put together the music was just one part but, I mean, you know, so much great stuff happening. And so much... It, just, it was just rich with
2: content. It felt like you could rely on every department. Like, watching show. Yes. You know, it was like these beautifully painted backgrounds. Uh, you know, yeah, like and the, the sound voice, design and the
3: mixing. And, I mean, the way the music was mixed in the show was yeah. terrific. I mean, it was Tom Maydeck, and he did a wonderful job there. And, I mean, Joe Gall's editing was fantastic. I mean, there was just these people that were involved at, who have since gone on to make wonderful other projects, wonderful other series. I mean, Glenn Murakami, Kevin Altieri, Frank Parr, like all these, Dan Reba, like these names, just Butch Lukic, all these people are just flowing forth as I'm thinking about the show. And we all kind of started there, you know? And I mean, wow, you know, to be all involved in that one project, it it was just fantastic. Well,
2: thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, no. Uh, And thank you for... making
1: this yes. <laughs> like, yeah. we're so lucky to, yeah. to, to be able to experience that show yeah.
3: Listen, the fact that there's people that enjoy it even now is like it's just really terrific I mean all the film composer ever wants to do is connect with people and it seems like this show has really been connecting with people which is just awesome
2: I'll so. say job well done ah, <laughs> thanks There you have it, guys. We've wrapped another episode, and i finally gotten my hands on the golden XLR cable. Are you sure, sure you don't really want, you want, want to keep,
0: keep crawling around my groiny regions? Huh? Regions, huh? I mean, I, I, think I, of it this I, I, way. I uh, you are could you be like that bird, that bird that cleans that, that, cleans that, that crocodile's teeth. teeth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but instead of cleaning my teeth, my teeth, teeth you'd,
2: you'd just be, be scratching, scratching my balls. Doesn't that sound nice? Hard pass. It's time that I finally saved my talking microphone. Oh, wait a minute. My phone? Yellow. that. Justin, are you there? Help. Kevin Conroy bot? My robot assistant who looks identical to Batman voice actor Kevin Conroy? What's wrong? Wait, you sound horrible. Hurry. Your closet is in
1: danger. I am vengeance. I am the night. I am... KCB?
2: KCB, can you hear me? Riddler, I gotta get back to my closet, and fast. Leave, Leave it to, it me, to
0: Justin. me, Justin, old oh, buddy, buddy
2: old oh, pal. Buddy, oh, pal. I'm, I'm a giant, a giant so ball, I'll
0: fling you ball, all 300 miles 300 straight back, back to, to your closet.
2: closet. Uh, that sounds kind of dangerous. Or oh,
0: oh, you boy, could boy, clutch boy, my nether yeah, pubics and ride me just, just, just putting it out down, there, no in the pressure either way. Yeah, no fling me. Okie dokie, get ready to go, whooshie, whooshie. Vibbit, fat, fling a
2: Justin, go to the
0: place, whooshie.
2: Will Justin land safely after being thrown close to 300 miles by a giant troll? Will the golden XLR save Mike life in time? Will the finale resolve all unanswered questions? Maybe to all three on the mildly fulfilling conclusion of... PodQuestCast! Guys, thanks for listening. Stay tuned after the credits for a big announcement. But first... If you're new to the show, please rate it on iTunes. If you've never rated it, but you're not new to the show, hey, do the same. Leave a comment. If you really like the show, you can even donate to it over at btaspodcast.com. I'm actually creating some merchandise uh, for giveaways and rewards for donating, and I just posted a poll to our Twitter to see what stuff you guys are most interested in. So. If you think you would be interested in buying stuff or, you know, getting some donation rewards, please fill that out. Let me know. Follow the show at BTAS Podcast and myself at Hey Justin. You can email me at btaspodcast at gmail.com and find more again at btaspodcast.com. Batman the Animated Podcast is hosted, edited, and produced by me, Justin Michael. Tom Smith created the show logo, and Casey Trela helped produce the theme song. Harry Chaskin is the voice of the podcast. Alex Berg once again returned as the disgusting Riddler. And Jace Armstrong did double duty as Kevin Conroybot. A huge thanks to him and the incredibly nice and talented Michael McQuiston for being our guests as well. Our? My. I don't know. There's just one of me, guys. A special thanks to This American Life producer, Tori Malatia, who actually grabbed me out of the blue and said,
3: Right now, I want to give you the biggest birthday hug you ever got.
2: Tori, you're too kind, but uh, it's actually not my birthday for another few months. Please let go of me. Great, thanks. Okay, guys, I'll see you in a little over two weeks for a regular Tuesday release of Batman the Animated Podcast. Oh, and that big announcement, right? Get ready for Batman himself, Kevin Conroy, to stop by the show before the end of the year. I cannot wait, and neither should you, except that you have to, because we literally have to wait until that episode is recorded and released. But guys, if you have any questions for Kevin Conroy, tweet them at me, at podcast. Okay, see ya.